Hello listener and welcome to Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Thank you so much for finding time to join me. I'm your presenter, Samuel Mangi. Today, Lydia Aching is on standby with the family of segment. Today, she'll be talking about the love they see. Brother Ian Mose will be joining us with the Bible segment. Today, he'll be talking about the free gift. Stay tuned for this and some songs which are in store for you. Here's a song, Naendea Salaba by Kurasini Church Choir. Yeah, yeah, mama. 
program coming to you from Adventist World Radio, the voice of hope. Get ready to listen to Lady Aicheng with the family of segment. Be blessed. Listener, welcome to today's Family Life program. Today we're going to talk about the love they see. Let us pray first. Lord, thank you so much for this marriage message. I pray that we may use it and apply it in our marriages, that our marriages may be a blessing and that they may be pleasing before your eyes. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Over time, I learned that it wasn't only what I said that mattered. It's also what I modeled. What our sons saw me do when it came to loving their mother. This is best illustrated in the poem, The Love They See. Men hear this poem a couple of times, so the words really have a chance to sink in, and then I'll share some thoughts I have from. Over time, I learned that it wasn't only what I said that mattered, it's also what I modeled, what our sons saw me do when it came to loving their mother. This is best illustrated in the poem, The Love They See. The Love They See by Bob Parks. You can't pretend to love. You can't even fake a smile. The things you think they don't notice, they have been watching all the while. Be aware that they are seeing everything you do. If you want your children to know love, then it's really up to you. For love isn't just a playtime. Love isn't a TV show. If you love them unconditionally, then love will be what they know. It's not what you want them to remember. It's what they will choose to see. If you loved one another always, then loving is what they'll be. Men, I must confess that there were a lot of years I spent pretending from a biblical perspective to be a husband. Fortunately, God got my attention and I began the slow process of changing and maturing into a man of God. Here's some of what I've been learning. We, husbands, are the ones who set the tone in our homes. We're going to be held to a higher level of accountability before God than our wives. It's all part of God's placing us as the head of the home. If you like the title of being head of your home, then I hope you're willing to accept the job description. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ, the head of the church, loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Paul devotes twice as many words to telling husbands to love their wives as to telling wives to submit to their husbands. How should a man love his wife? One, he should be willing to sacrifice everything for her. And two, he should make her well-being of primary importance. Men, if we say we love Christ, then there is no way we can ignore this mandate from God. As we set the tone in our homes, we, men, are also the ones who are responsible for showing our sons and daughters what a husband is to be. I was fortunate I grew up in a home where my father was a good role model for how a husband should look and act. In their 43 years of marriage, until my mom died, 
I never questioned once whether my dad loved my mom or was fully devoted to her. You, however, may not have had a good role model from your father as you are growing up. Well, now it is time for you to be or become the good role model for your children. In the third chapter of Proverbs, Solomon is speaking to his son, exhorting him to live his life in such a way that as others watched him, they would be drawn to God. His words serve us well today too. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. That's in Proverbs chapter 3 verse 3 through 7. Also, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 4, for some practical ways to model love for your kids. These are powerful verses that get summed up in verse 8. Love never fails. Make the decision to be or become the husband of a happy wife. I hope you don't miss the significance of what I just said because with that decision comes a lifelong commitment too. In her book, Capture Her Heart, Lisa Tuckhurst said, Granted, your wife's relationship with the Lord must be her sole source of worth, but you can do wonders for her in making your love obvious to her. You can become the husband of a happier wife simply by deciding in your heart who she is. And then we don't have to guess who she is because Tuckers tells us she is a daughter of the Most High King. She is a princess created in the image of God, a royal heir of the eternal throne. God made her beautiful and uniquely gifted. She was made with you in mind, with a heart that yearns for your adoration and acceptance. She's been entrusted to your care to love, honor, and cherish until death do you part. Husbands, fathers, I can almost guarantee that if you follow the principles laid out in this marriage message, you will live a lifelong legacy for your sons and daughters that will have tremendous impact. And in doing so, you will never have to wonder again, what kind of love are they seeing in me? This material is provided by Marriage Missions International. Until next time, God bless you. You are tuned to Adventist All Radio, the voice of hope. This is your presenter, Samuel Mangi. A producer would love to have your thoughts about this program. Please send them to the producer, Adventist All Radio, P.O. Box 42276-100-100 Nairobi, Kenya. You can also drop us an email at awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Let us now listen to Krasini Church Choir with the song, Aliacha Utukufu. Oh, 
Another opportunity to get some spiritual nourishment from Brother Ian Mose. Welcome, Brother. Greetings, dear listener, and welcome to our study today. The topic of our study is the free gift of God. Welcome and feel at the feet of Jesus Christ. Our study is based on the book of Luke chapter 18. I am a presenter, Ian Muse. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, will not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. Luke chapter 18 verse 9 to 14. One of the problems in the time of Christ was that many of the religious leaders believed they were made righteous by their good deeds. They trusted in their own righteousness while they looked down on others as worthless sinners. The two men in Jesus parable offer greatly contrasting figures. The Pharisee was part of a seat of Judaism known for its rigid stance of obeying the law while tax collectors, publicans, were associated with a very loose and scandalous lifestyle. 
Pharisees might have been considered the obvious choice for eternal life by most people of Jesus' day. But Jesus had different ideas. Notice that the Pharisee is said to pray thus with himself. In other words, he's praying to himself and not so much to God. He goes on to thank God that he is not like the worst sinners of the world. And more than that, he reminds God that he tithes and fasts regularly. It's probably an honest resume, and technically it's a good one. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew chapter 5 verse 20. But instead of thanking God for his goodness in humility, he's thanking God for his resume as a point of pride. The tax collector, however, doesn't even feel worthy to approach the front of the temple. Instead, he stands back and cowers before the altar. His feelings of guilt and shame cause him to bow his head and beat on his breast, a sign of repentance, a genuine display of his sorrow for sin. He pleads to God to be merciful on him, a lowly sinner. Where the Pharisee has so much to offer God, the publican has nothing good to offer. Thus, also unlike the Pharisee, he's appealing solely to God's mercy. Here's the point. According to Christ, the one who went home justified that day was the revealed tax collector, which means the respected Pharisee did not. Even though he was paying his tithe, fasting twice a week, and most likely living an exemplary religious life of obedience. Luke's parable is extremely important, and it is big. How did the tax collector ob obtain justification? By his own admission, we know he didn't earn it. He also didn't say, Lord, I'm a sinner, but look at all the good things I've done. No, he simply asked for mercy. Nor did he make any demands like, Lord, I'm a sinner, now give me mercy. It took faith for him to ask for God's mercy, because he has no tangible evidence that he'll have it. Grace must be asked for and received in faith. At the end of this parable, Christ promised that for everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbled himself shall be exalted. The tax collector smites his breast, repents, even humbly bows his eyes because he's too ashamed to look up to heaven. So according to Jesus, if we come to God humbling ourselves, truly repenting of our sinful deeds, confessing our sinfulness, and pleading for his mercy, we will go home from the house of God justified. That's good news. That means if you, whoever you are and with whatever sins you carry today, do what this publican did. You can rest assured that before God, Christ's character is accounted to you. You are forgiven. You have been given the gift. Is that complicated? Acts chapter 18 verse 18 to 20 tells a very interesting story that has a lot of insight regarding justification. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast doubt that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Peter is addressing a man named Simon who appears to be some kind of sorcerer for hire. He witnessed Peter and Philip laying hands on the people of Samaria. As the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and miracles occurred, Simon thought, Wow! Just think how my business will profit if I had the power. So Simon offered them money, hoping that they could sell the power of the Holy Spirit to him. Peter's response was quick and to the point, even harsh. 
his response basically boils down to saying, to heads with your request. For Peter, it was outrageous to think that the gifts of God could be purchased for money. Yet many people believe and insist that salvation can be earned the same way, by purchase. This theology is not any different than what Simon tried to do. Even though the Bible has such a severe response to those claiming they can pay for what God gives. What has been paid for our freedom from Satan's bondage? The blood of Christ. Do you think offering money to God who gave the life of his only son makes much sense at all? Might it be insulting to God to be paid for the gift he has offered freely to you? Christ paid your debt because you couldn't pay it. How silly then would it be to give God money or works to obtain your salvation in light of the work Christ already did on your behalf? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 confirms, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. We also learn of the two thieves, one hanging on Jesus' right side, the other on his left side, who are guilty of the same sins. They are both guilty of sedition against their government, perhaps even of murder, and to support the activities they stole. The interesting thing is that even though they have identical records as sinners, one is saved and one is lost by the end of the story. They also find themselves in the same helpless position, unable to do anything to save themselves from the suffering and death. Neither one has anything to offer to secure the liberation from the cross on which they hung. God bless you abundantly. Thank you, listener, for your time. I was your presenter, Ian Musi. That brings us to the end of our program for today. I hope that you've been blessed. Would like to have your views, comments, or questions about this program? Please send them to the producer, Adventist World Radio, PO Box 42276-00100, Nairobi, Kenya, or email us through awrnairobi at ek.adventist.org. Join me next time, same place, same time. But until then, may our good Lord keep you safe. I've been a presenter, Samuel Mangi. Yeah.